Hey there, you know me. It's Joelle Castex. I'm a journalist, a writer, a survivor, and a mom, and a troublemaker, and I love a good story. People fascinate me. And you know what I've learned? The most extraordinary stories live in the most unlikely of places. Welcome to the Unasked Podcast. What a better country is there than the United States? My name is Diana Isanova, and I'm an attorney, a mother of three, a wife, a daughter, and a business owner. Running clubs are totally amazing things. A number of years ago, I joined one because I wanted motivation and I wanted some training to start running 5Ks again. And it worked. In no time flat, I was running three or four half marathons a year. But that's, that's not why I'm talking about running groups. The beauty of a running group comes from the connections that you make with people on these long, slow, soul-sucking training runs. I mean, think about it. When you're not any kind of elite athlete and you're on mile 10 and it's 80 degrees and you want to die, it's only the conversation with the person next to you that keeps you going. So one of these days, I'm running with a woman that I had just met and I was complaining about how we only had five TV stations growing up because we couldn't get cable. You know, typical 80s kid Gen X angst. And this beautiful woman next to me laughs and says in her really cool Russian accent, which I will not try to imitate, Joel, in Uzbekistan, primetime TV for us was some guy playing accordion for four hours in black and white. Wait, wait, what? Rewind. Wait, wait. Uzbekistan? I'm just some dork from Orange County. And I turned and was like, how do you get to a running club in Southern California from Uzbekistan. So she told me her story and she's a rock star. Since Diana came to the US in 2003 at age 19, she's learned English, gotten her degree, become a lawyer, started businesses and had three children. And you know, what have I done since 2003? Well, not that. Now I get to share her with you. This is Diana Isanova. And this is an amazing story about the American dream. I was born and raised in Uzbekistan, Tashkent, Uzbekistan. It is, uh, it's one of the former republics of USSR. Uh, it became independent, I believe in 1991 and it's located south of Russia. Uzbekistan is a landlocked country in Central Asia, and it's bordered by a bunch of other landlocked countries. It's surrounded by Kazakhstan to the north, Turkmenistan and Afghanistan to the south, and Kyrgyzstan to the east. Most Uzbeks are Sunni Muslims. Tashkent, the capital, is a modern city. Views of the political state of the country vary depending on who you ask, and it has changed dramatically since Diana left the country in 2003. But when Diana's mother was younger in the 1970s, Uzbekistan was a land of opportunity. After World War II, the Soviet Union encouraged people, 
especially educated scientists, artists, and teachers, to settle in the outlying Soviet republics, such as Uzbekistan. Diana's mother's family moved from Moscow to the landlocked republic soon after. Diana's father was a Tartar, a member of the Turkic ethnic group that spans much of Central Asia. She met my handsome father. <laughs> she couldn't resist <laughs> and they got married and had my sister and me. And that, that's where I was born and raised. The way I remember is it's quite conservative in terms of what women can, cannot, should, should not do. It is very friendly. People are very friendly. The Uzbekians are great hosts. When you come to an Uzbek household, you're always offered some tea and some food. You will never leave without being fed <laughs> with something. It's just one of the customs. It's the, it's the capital of Uzbekistan. Tashkent is the capital of Uzbekistan. So it's a large, I want to say modern city. The city is very clean and well, the infrastructure is well organized. The climate is very sunny. Uh, we have a lot of delicious fruits because thanks to the sunny weather. So Uzbekistan is primarily Islamic. Islam is the religion, but because it used to be part of USSR, it all kind of got mixed with Russian culture, Russian language. When I was there, when I was in Uzbekistan, Russian language was the predominant language, although in, and, and there were separate schools for Russian speaking people and for Uzbek speaking people. Uh, at that time, everybody who wanted to get a good position needed to speak Russian because again, that was the language of business, that was the language in politics mainly. But just when I was leaving, I felt it was changing and Uzbek language was valued a little bit more and promoted more. So I remember it became a requirement for everybody to take Uzbek language class in school and test and take tests at the end of the year. I wasn't really following the changes as much. I did hear from my relatives, you know, that Tashkent has changed for the better. Its infrastructure improved. It became more Western westernized, you know, like the rest of the world. And it, it, they say if I come to Uzbekistan now, I wouldn't even recognize the way it looks.
at some point my mom she was so she was a single mom right after she divorced uh, my father i was just a baby one or two years old she was raising me and my sister by herself again she is very entrepreneurial herself very strong woman very determined and she opened her business to be able to stay at home with us and provide at some point she decided that it, there's uzbekistan does cannot offer too many opportunities to us and she decided to change countries and what a better country is there than the united states she was like this is the place to go to she looked at the map and chose the state that is closest to the climate in uzbekistan which turned out to be california she was like okay i have no idea how it is there but we're gonna we're gonna go there once she decided to move here it was all about finding a way how to eventually she found some sort of exchange of talent program that between a local university and a university in uzbekistan and they did exchange of professors who were teaching certain arts uh, and because she is a ceramics artist she knew a lot of local unique ceramic um, how do you say that um, techniques and different approaches how to make beautiful art out of ceramics and that's how she was able to find a way to the United States. When she was leaving Uzbekistan, I was 16 years old. She could not bring me with her. So the only way for her to come to the United States was to leave me behind. I said, mom, go for it. I'll be fine. It's me and my cat will be okay here. I also had a sister who lived with me, but she decided to leave to Greece just a few months later after my mom left. So a few months later, my mom <laughs> is here in the United States doing well. My sister left to Greece doing her thing and me just enjoying the life, being a responsible 16-year-old grown-up that I was. I was still studying uh, at uh, Cirque and Estrade College, I think that's how you say it. And I was finishing my second year. That's right, I was finishing my second year, so I had two more years to go. And I was working as a waitress. I was doing very good actually at that job, so I, I was fine. I had a good income. I kept myself busy uh, during the day studying and I had a bunch of hobbies at home. If I had to make it on my own, I had to make it on my own. 
Well, Diana thought she was a grown-up. Remember, she's basically the equivalent of a high school sophomore. Yes, yes, I was, well, now looking back, that's the, the reaction I get. I was only 16. Back then, I was like, I'm already 16. I can do it. That's a different perspective, very different. Three years later, Diana's mother was able to bring her now 19-year-old daughter to the United States. So when I just came to the United States, I didn't speak the language, I didn't speak English, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I started with the ESL classes, English as a second language at a local community college. And little by little, you know, taking random classes, a lot of art classes, some dance classes, some marketing classes, some accounting classes. I was just searching what I wanted to do. Meanwhile, I met my husband, got married, and we had our first daughter. So now I'm married, I have my first daughter, I still don't know what I want to do. My husband, he, he's a very wise man and I'm so lucky to have him. He was like, well, why don't you find something that is not too specific, but something that is not too general either. And we ended up choosing economics as my next major. So I transferred, I got my AA associate degree and transferred to a uh, local university to uh, receive my economics, bachelor's in economics. But just economics was not enough for me. I'm very entrepreneurial. I, I love anything business related. So I decided to go to business economics. And that was my major. I spent there about three years, graduated. And then what? Then I, have to I had to decide what to do next. Again, we had a conversation with my, with my husband. Oh, but by that time, by the time I graduated from my university, I had a second daughter. So now I have two daughters. I have bachelor's degree, but I didn't feel like I finished my education. You know, I wanted to, to get the highest level of education I possibly can to feel satisfied. This is just something I always wanted to do. But again, I had to make a choice. What's, what to learn? What's it going to be? And I was considering to continue and study economics further but my husband said why don't you become a lawyer at that time I was like a lawyer my goodness how can you even suggest something like that me an immigrant with two kids I didn't write well at the time I had a good uh, understanding how it should sound but I have never sat down and wrote a very nice long essay let's say so I was like no you're crazy that's never gonna happen he was like okay again 
being as wise as he is, he was gently feeding me this idea <laughs> over time. Well, why, do, why don't you consider? Why don't you think about it? Why, why don't you speak to other lawyers? And then we settled that I'm going to try and take the LSAT, the law school admission test, and see how I do, right? He was like, just try. Just try, see where you land. If you do good, you do. If you don't, you don't. No problem, no big deal, right? Just study for a few months, take the LSAT. I was like, okay, convinced. But I love challenges. And that was a challenge. It was a big challenge and it was so personal because now I could not, didn't want to fall on my face, right? If I set out to do something, I have to do it well to the best of my abilities. So, and I studied and studied and studied some more. At that time, I was pregnant with my third daughter. <laughs> So I couldn't really drink coffee or caffeinated tea. I couldn't study for too many hours because sitting was uncomfortable. And uh, at home, I had two babies to, to attend to, right? So it was challenging, but again, I, I don't mind a good challenge. I took the test. I did relatively well, but I knew that I could do better. So I gave birth to my baby and decided to retake the test, retake the exam. So I spent a couple more months studying for it. And then I took the test. I did better. And that was the score I applied with to multiple schools. And that was the score that allowed me to get an admission to a number of great schools and receive scholarship offers and kind of pave the way to become a lawyer eventually. I still doubt myself sometimes once in a while. And when I get nervous, my accent becomes a bit stronger, a bit more apparent, but it's something that I'm still dealing with. My first, when I just came here, I didn't speak English. I felt so uncomfortable speaking to people. I remember my first moment when I said, okay, I think I can do it. It was when I went by myself to a Starbucks in New York and ordered a cup of coffee. And the person didn't ask me, excuse me, what? Or what did you say? Or could you repeat that? She's just like, okay, I know she wants a cup of coffee. <laughs> and that was it. I was like, okay, I think I can conquer, conquer that eventually. So I was and continue studying English. Uh, I usually have a little notebook with new to me words uh, that I write down and try to use them in my everyday conversations. Constantly, I constantly try to expand my vocabulary to improve my accent. I have considered hiring a, an accent coach, but 
just never got to it. I still might at some point. <laughs> My oldest one, who is 14 right now, she is fully capable of taking care of the house, feed herself and her younger sisters, laundry her clothes, reach out, find people who she needs to find. <laughs> For example, last semester, she managed to get herself on a lacrosse team for the entire season free of charge without us being involved in any type of negotiation with the coach. <laughs> so I think she'll be fine. <laughs> I feel like this topic is almost controversial, you know, because there are a lot of people say who say that American dream is dead, is not there anymore. It's it's vanished, people don't know what they're talking about. I tend to disagree. I think American Dream is alive and well. You just have to work for it. You have to believe in it. You have to accept the challenges and just believe in it. You know, if you start with I don't believe I can do that, you will never be able to do it. And luckily, I was able to change my perspective because at some point, you know, when my husband said, you should be a lawyer, I said, that's never going to happen because I cannot do it. He was able to help me to change my perspective and believe in myself and know that I can do it. Yes, I'll have to work harder. Yes, I'll have to study longer hours. Yes, I might have to retake some tests or whatever needs to be done. I'll just do it. But eventually, eventually I will be able to get to where I want to get. And that's exactly what happened. So I believe American dream exists. It's there. You just need to find what it means to you and go get it. I was as a regular kid in Uzbekistan, had a few toys, not too many. My toys were the same as everybody else's toys. I had a few <laughs> beautiful pieces of clothes that again was very similar to what everybody else was wearing. <laughs> we didn't have too much activities. We had a couple of TV channels. One of them was black and white. The other one was in Uzbek language. So we didn't spend much time watching TV growing up. Most of our time we spent outside socializing with other kids or not socializing or just, you know, having fun playing around. And and maybe doing some arts and crafts at home, which was my favorite hobby. I love doing arts and crafts. Like my, my experience growing up would be very similar to a person growing up in Kazakhstan at the same, during the same years, or in Russia 
or in Armenia. Because when it used to be one huge country, you know, we, we had the same standards, same activities, same type of entertainment. There was really nothing different. It was very simple, very humble. I went to a movie theater once, as far as I remember. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> we got our own TV when I was about seven years old. We owned one ball <laughs> that we played with every day. <laughs> We didn't own a bike. Yeah, so we, I guess we were forced to be very creative, <laughs> to figure out how to entertain ourselves without having any tools, really. So we played games, uh, word games, ball games, and games that we created ourselves, really. Oh, and we did play cards. That's right. Yes, card games was a good and fun entertainment. That's the one. Mm -hmm. We lived in an apartment on the fourth floor without an elevator. So <laughs> it's a trip up and down at least twice a day. And groceries would be carried. You would walk to the closest bazaar because we didn't have markets. That's an outside, out, outdoor, you know, very traditional Uzbekian bazaar. And it, it was wonderful. If you forgot to buy something, you forgot to buy something because you're not walking 20 minutes back to get that one item. All the movies we saw, TV shows and whatnot, they were all translated into Russian. Synchronized translation. So, you know, uh, it was very different for me to hear for the first time the real voice of Robert De Niro. Because he didn't speak like that in Russia. You know, when I was watching movies with him, his voice sounded really differently. <laughs> After a few years in the U.S., Diana met her husband. And of course, he's Brazilian. I met him here. We, that was an interesting night. That's the night when I decided not to get involved in a serious relationship. That's the night when I decided to be a free-spirited, young girl who just does what she wants so i dressed up i went to a nightclub with my best friend to have a great time and during the first hour i met my husband and something just clicked something just you know i had an inkling that said uh-oh you're in trouble this is it <laughs> and this is it because it's been 16 years. We're, we've been married for 16 years. A very happy marriage, I have to say. <laughs> that way, I think we're very similar. We are also very practical, which I believe also comes from growing up 
in a humble and frugal environment because if something doesn't go your way okay just turn a few degrees to the left to the right and do a different thing you know but keep going don't stop don't get discouraged keep going maybe he is realizing it a little bit even more <laughs> because at least I had to get my education to get to my American dream, you know. He didn't even get to that point. He, he didn't finish his education and he still was able to come here to open the business, to establish a very uh, robust business structure that's been functioning well for so many years now. And that's incredible. He was able to establish a successful business without having a traditional education. To do something this big could be possible only in America. My family is here, right? I don't really have close family back in Uzbekistan. I, I have some cousins, uncles, and aunts that I miss, of course, but my life is here. My husband is here. My mom is here. My daughters are here. My life, my friends, this is my home now. You know, I, I love where I live. I love everything about this country. And I don't really see a point of me going back to Uzbekistan, except for food. They do have good, delicious food. It's all about what you're telling yourself. If that's what you're telling yourself, then no one will be able to change your mind. Unless you're open to explore that, hey, maybe the American dream is alive. If you look at success stories of other immigrants or people who come from the most, the most unlikely, you know, environments to succeed and they find a way and they do it and they're killing it, then why can't you? There's no reason, you know, I, I'm still holding sometimes against myself that I'm an immigrant, English is not my first language, and I have three kids, and I don't have time, and I get that, and I'm that, and I'm that, and yet I'm able to finish my education, to open my own firm, to get my own clients, and just be so happy every day. Waking up in my home, looking at my beautiful kids, coming to my beautiful office, and just living the life. It's possible. Everything is possible. You just have to believe in it, number one. Number two, you have to work for it. Nothing will be handed to you. Nothing. If you put for your efforts, if you're willing to work and overwork, you can achieve anything you set out to achieve.
I, I truly, truly, sincerely believe in it. If I'm able to help just one person to believe in themselves, to decide that something that they kind of want to do, but so, so, so not confident that they can do it. If I'm able to help them to change their own mind and make them believe in themselves that, yes, you can do it, just do it. Don't sit and think about it. Don't contemplate. Oh, how difficult it's gonna be. Just stand up, make that first step, and then the second step, and third, and fourth. And before you know it, five months later, you're halfway there. So if I'm able to create that impact by setting the example of what I'm doing right now, it would make me so tremendously happy. Like, honestly. The Unasked Podcast is written and produced by me, Joelle Castex. So if you like what you're hearing, give us, and it's really just me, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you stream quality entertainment. Plus, tell your friends and tell everyone who's a podcast junkie. If you want to learn more about our guests, you can visit our website at unaskedpod.com. And that's also where you can find links to all of our socials and our Patreon page. And if you know of a story that needs to be told, you know, an extraordinary story in a very unlikely place, you can contact me there. Thanks, and until next time.